0: just stand with me and if will open your Bibles to 1st John chapter 1 verse 1 through 7. We'll just read this together. The first epistle of third 1st of John. It's uh, towards the end of, your, of the Bible. So it's I think the fourth book to the last book. 1st John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was sent the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing this thing so that your joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the word of God. May you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, that it is life. Uh, God, give us what we don't have. God, make us your likeness. God, teach us this morning what we don't know. Father, I pray that this that we will have assurance of faith, that we will have assurance of our salvation as we walk out of this place, that there'll be no question in our minds and our hearts that if we are going to heaven and be with you. God, forgive us, O oh Lord, when we think that heaven is the goal and it's not. God, Jesus Christ, God, is the goal. is to be with you. So, Father, I pray. This morning, God, as we dive into this book, that we will just let, let it capture our hearts and our soul, God. So that, Lord, we will know your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to come back to First Peter at some point, God willing. But uh for a moment, for the meantime, we're just going to dive in for the next 11 weeks into this book of called First John. And the series is called, How Can I Be Sure I Am Going to Heaven? How Can I Be Sure I Am Going to Heaven? And John gives us 11 ways, 11 questions, 11 tests that you can, ha- you must answer to yourself yes to every single one of those questions. And, and the first test is, Have you enjoyed fellowship with Christ and the Father and with His Holy Spirit? Christians may disagree over what is the scarce passage in the Bible, but most would agree that Jesus' concluding words in His Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23 is one of them, where it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Isn't it frightening to think that about going to hell forever? Does not frightening you. frightens me. I think it's even more frightening to find out too late that you're going to hell when you thought all along that you're going to heaven. And still more frightening to think that not just few, but many will have this experience. Some people think they're Christians and they call Jesus Lord. They even do many, many good things, many good works, mighty works in his name. And yet they're not truly saved. They were never saved. When reading this passage, it, came, it can be tempting to just throw up our hands who then can know if they'll be saved. It sure seems like a huge gamble. You you do your best to follow Jesus, but who knows whether you'll get smacked down at the end. But that's not the point here. Jesus is not trying to confuse us or rob us of assurance. But He also does not want us to be deceived or to live in uncertainty about where you are going to spend eternity. I believe the most important thing in a Christian life is to know where are you going to spend eternity? Where are you going to wake up in heaven? And every morning, at least the past week and a half or so, that every time I open my eyes, I, I'm thankful that um, I could open my eyes and have air ear to breathe. But what if one day I don't wake up? What's next? Where do you wake up? The Bible says you can only wake up in, in either two places. Either your spirit will be in heaven or your spirit will be in hell. One or the other. There's no in-between. There's never an in-between. The Bible never teaches an in-between. So for the next 11 weeks, I, I want to invite you to just take the first John test with me. On the subject of assurance. Let me just say that it's normal for... A Christian once in a while to have occasional doubts about their salvation. How many guys here have occasional doubts? Just occasional, right? All of us do. Uh, it's normal. Um, however, persistent doubts are not healthy. They're not. And, and sadly, Christians are, are tempted to go to go to other things for assurance. They they will look for to experiences, rituals, or parents or pastors for assurance. See, I could never tell you you're saved. I I, I don't know. I I just don't know. I hope you are, but I could never know. I mean, I could kind of tell by your life, but I I don't know. I I don't know. Does any of you know? If your name's written in the last book of life, does any of you know? Nobody knows. I don't know. Only God knows. Right? But there has to be some proof. You see, the Bible not only talks about how one could be saved, but it also talks about how one can be assured of it. In 1 John 5.13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So the whole purpose and theme of first John is that you may know, not that you might know, but that you may know that you have eternal life, that you might know that you're going to heaven, that you might know that you there's a room for you in heaven. This is what first John is about. John wrote this his gospel. That we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you have life in His name. That's the Gospel of John. In 1st John, that we may know. In the Gospel of John, that we may believe. The great apostle Paul in 2nd in Corinthians 13 verse 5 says. throws this imperative command and he says, Examine yourselves. That's what he asks us to do. We need to examine ourselves. Whether you've been a Christian a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years, twenty years, whatever. That number may be. We still got to, what, examine ourselves. We have to. And examine ourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Whether you are saved. He goes on to say, test. Who? Test who? Yourselves. Or do you not realize just about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail tests? How many guys here in school like taking tests? Just like taking tests. You'd rather take tests than papers. How many guys here like taking tests than papers? Right? See, see, tests are great. You know why? Because it's always (laughs) 50-50. Right? It's always 50-50. You're either wrong or right. But papers, you're going to have to like sit there, contemplate, not plagiarize, you know, <laughs> right? And so, so you have all these things. So, but in life, there's what we call the Christian test, the believer's test. 1 John is all about the believer's test. It's about testing ourselves. This book is very humbling because the command here is clear. We are to examine. I can't examine your faith. I mean, I can, but it's not for me. You see, if you are 99% certain that you are saved, you are 100% lost. It's imperative that you make sure. It's absolutely imperative that you make sure. Because the Bible talks about life is a vapor, isn't it? Right? It's one... It's here one day and gone the next. It's vapor. Nobody knows. I'm, I'm reading the book of Ecclesiastes this week as, as I read through the Bible. And in Ecclesiastes it says, who, who? What life? You're like a wind. You're here one moment and you're gone. Life, we just don't know. A couple weeks ago, we 13 servicemen got up that morning. And they thought they were going home, and they didn't come home. Did they know that they were going to be blown up? No. Did a hundred Afghanistan people knew that morning that they would die? No. That's why it's so imperative for us to know what's next. What's next after this? What's next? And here's the awesome part about the Bible. It tells us what's next. Throughout the letter of 1 John, it's a series of 11 questions. 11 questions to determine whether you have eternal life. Okay, we're going to go to the first one this, this morning. Have you enjoyed fellowship with Christ and the Father and His Holy Spirit? That's the first test. The second test is, do you have a deep awareness of your sin? Third test, do you obey God's Word? Number four, do you reject the world and its ways? Number five, do you long for the return of Jesus Christ and be made like Him? Number six, do you habitually do what is right more and and sin much less? Do you love other Christians sacrificially and and want to be with them? Do you discern the presence of the Holy Spirit within you? Can you discern between spiritual truth and, and error? Do you enjoy listening to the doctrines of the apostle? The apostles' taught? Do you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ? See, if you don't pass this 11 tests, you will know where you stand and what you need to do to make sure. There's two components to the first test of having fellowship with God and, and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about the vertical component first in verses 2 and 3. It says, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The first test John asks is, have you enjoyed fellowship with Christ and the Father and is with the Holy Spirit? See, the apostle here is going beyond his earthly experience that he had with Jesus in his earthly life. He's going beyond that because he had such, no such experience with the Father. So Jesus wasn't, John wasn't just talking about, hey, I have this fellowship with, with Jesus the last 18 months on a full-time level. But he never had this fellowship with the Father. But the test is, have you enjoyed fellowship with Christ and the Father and with his Holy Spirit? See, instead, he was Currently, or meaning present tense, enjoying sweet fellowship, not only with the living God, not only with the living Christ, but with His Holy Spirit. See, the Greek word translated fellowship is koinonia, and it could be used to speak of a business venture, a partnership. It means to share something in common. To be saved is to have something in common. There has to be this partnership between you and and God. There's a fellowship between you and the Trinity. It's important for us to understand what biblical fellowship really means. When you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not only entering a legal relationship with God, but you're also entering an enjoyment with God here on earth. John wrote this letter so that we could have this kind of fellowship with God, that we could have this kind of assurance with God. In 1 John 5.1, John says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. See, this is the characteristic of every believer, is to have the love of the Father and Jesus Christ. This is the first test. Is there in your life an experience of God? Do you experience God in your life? Meaning that you know He is inside of you. You know this powerful being is inside of you. Do you know who's actually on the throne of your heart? See, we throw fellowship around, that word fellowship around, and we think it's just a hangout time. It's so much more deeper than that. Because a a true Christian is someone... Not only do they fellowship with God, but they fellowship with God. Do you fellowship with God? Do you pray to God? Do you feel him? Do you see him working all around you? I do. I see him everywhere. There's not a place or time that I don't see God doing things in my life. And 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 this is what John was telling us to do. This is what that fellowship means. See, being in fellowship with with God means that you are... This is just so humbling because I couldn't... Just knowing how sinful I am and how wretched I am, and for my God to say, I want to have fellowship with you is humbling. Because how could a holy God wants to fellowship with me? But he made that possible, and we'll talk about that much more. In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul goes on to say, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of this Son, Jesus Christ, our God. This is our calling. This fellowship is not something that we can just manufacture. This is something that has to be called. We have to be called to this fellowship with God. You know, as we look at First Peter, we know that we are being called, elected, and chosen by God. Meaning God himself had invited each believer into this friendship that can never be voided. So let me ask you, are you a friend of God? Are you his friend? And wow, can you imagine? Abraham is called the friend of God. In Galatians 2.20, I love how Paul describes this fellowship. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, by virtue of the gospel, you have been crucified with Christ through faith in Christ. Meaning you are united with him, both in his death and his resurrection. Meaning your fellowship with Christ is the most important thing about you. Everything else is Secondary. Everything else don't matter. This is the most important thing. And the first important thing that we need to realize that we need to know whether you have fellowship with God. You know, before I go on, I can't answer this for you, but you're going to have to answer this to yourself. Do you have fellowship with God? Can you call Him Father? Can you call Jesus your brother? Can you know that the Holy Spirit actually lives in you, inside of you? Can, can you Do you know that? Because Romans 8 says you must have the Spirit to be saved. In John 10.10, 10, um, I love how Jesus defined the Christian life. He says, I came that they might have life. Praise God. Right? That's why Jesus came so that you and I could be given what? Life. Right? And he, but he didn't stop there. Jesus goes on to say, and that you might have it more abundantly. See, if Jesus just said that he came that you might have life, we could conclude that he was only talking about his provision for eternal life. But by adding that life could be abundant, Jesus was moving us into this dimension of experience and enjoyment with Him. So again, let me ask you, do, do you enjoy? How many guys here have dated before? Man, woman? How you guys here have dated before, right? Do you guys imagine, remember that time where you're about to pick someone up or you're about to meet them? And and you have this enjoyment of fellowship and you just didn't want the, the night or the day to end. You guys have those feelings, remember? Remember? The good old days maybe for some. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so so they, they don't have to be the good old days. It could be the good new days. <laughs> Alright? So it's just a hint, you know, it's okay to enjoy. Um but take that one more level you have this enjoyment that you have with God that no matter what's going on in your world, in your life, in circumstantial situations, there's just this sweet fellowship that you enjoy. Before we move on to the horizontal aspect of fellowship, let me share with you uh, just a taste of of what this abundant life look like and what this, this abundant life because of our fellowship with Christ looks like. In, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4, if you ever come to a point of suffering and, and, and you're not just thinking right, this is one of those passages that will just bring you great comfort. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, if you turn there with me, I just, I'm just gonna, during our service, I'm just gonna ask you guys to turn to certain passages of scripture, not all the time, but, but there's just some that we just need to read for ourselves. And, and Paul goes on to say this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comfort us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with we we ourselves are comforted by God see suffering works this way you suffer you receive God's comfort and then when somebody else suffers you give the same comfort to someone else and that's what we have in Christ. That's what meaning, what it means to have fellowship with Christ is that you will have the comfort, you will have the enjoyment of having this comfort from God. The second thing in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, um, it tells us that you could enjoy God's grace. It, Peter goes on to say, he goes, And after you have suffered a little while, and the God of all grace, who has called you to this eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. That's what it means to have this abundant life. Not only that, but look at Philippians 4.19, where He said, you will enjoy God's providence. Where He said, um, I love this passage, every time you you are um, are stuck financially, every time you are, you feel like you worry that you don't have enough money. You don't have enough uh, money to to uh, provide for your family. And then we come to this passage and say, because we have this fellowship with God. He says this, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You will be provided for. In in Ephesians 4.19, that you and I could enjoy God's Word. He says here in 4.19, he goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, they have um, 4, 5.19, is it? Okay, I probably didn't write that right. So it it's 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 in Ephesians it's in Ephesians for sure. I know, I know for sure. Okay. But it, it tells us about that we could sing hymns and spiritual songs together um, because we we could enjoy God's word. I know it's here. So but we'll move on. Uh Romans eight fifteen, it talks about enjoying this intimacy with God, this parental love. Oh Romans eight fifteen, you have to Turn to that. I mean, highlight this and, and just tells you what kind of fellowship we have, how intimate this fellowship that we have with, with God, where it says here in verse 15: for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry Abba Father. Wow, what what a what a privilege that we have that we can call him daddy, right? I mean, how many of you guys have a hard time doing that? Call, calling God daddy? That is hard, isn't it? Right? But that's what Abba Father means. He's, he's his daddy. Because he, he, father's like they're stern and big. But daddy becomes really tender, doesn't it? But that's how God wants us to come to him. He's our dad. He's our dad. And then the writer of the book of Hebrews. Oh, turn there. It's... Oh, when when you're in trouble, this is what it means to have an abundant life. This is what it means to have fellowship with God. In verse 15 and 16 of chapter 4, he says that we will enjoy God's sympathy and understanding and help and protection. I, I love what he says here in verse 15, that for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, one of my favorite passages in regards to fellowship with God is found in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 29, where God throws His invitation and He says, Come, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls." So you see, Jesus is the only one who can give you this rest that you truly need. What's in view here is really salvation. You see, the rest means to put our burden of sin in God's hand and enjoy His provision of forgiveness and eternal life. See, gentleness is who God is. It is His heart. God can't ungentle Himself towards His own any more than you or I can change the color of our eyes. And God is throwing this invitation to us. So... In order to be saved, one has to have this vertical relationship with God. you got to have this vertical component with God. That you and God are tight. That you and God are close. That you and God are together. There has to be this shared partnership with God. Let's move on to the horizontal component of this first test. Look at verse 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with Him... While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. The second part of the fellowship test is the horizontal test. Have you enjoyed fellowship with other believers? So if one professes that they have fellowship with God, but lives a life in darkness, Jesus calls him a liar because they are not living out the truth. The verb walk is in the present tense. It speaks of a continuous and consistent pattern of life. In other words, you tell others that you know God, but your belief and your behavior contradict your words and, and actions. Hypocrisy. In, in addition, John says we have fellowship with one another. This where the horizontal component of our faith comes in. See, to have fellowship with others, there must be a oneness of the heart, something that links two people together. Here at Watermark Church, we believe in membership. We do. Because in membership, in church membership, people look at it. Oh, why do I have to be a member? And, and yet the Bible commands us to be a member. You know, in the book of Acts, it tells us that it, it, it added to them 3,000 that day to the church. And every every local church that Paul wrote to had a membership. That's why the letter came to Galatia, to Ephesus, to Colossae, to, to Philippi. They, they all were local church. And because being in, in, in a membership of a church becomes oneness of heart that we have the same conviction. We believe the same things. It, it, it links us together. You see, at the very heart of fellowship, there must be like-mindedness. When two are in fellowship with each other, They shared the same wishes and and desires that we walk with Christ, that we become conformed to Christ. Which is why Paul exhorts believers in in 2 Corinthians 6.14 to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Nothing. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? No fellowship at all. In 1 John 14, 17, Jesus tells us that all believers will have true fellowship with one another because the Holy Spirit binds them together and indwells them together. One mark of a people who walk with God are forgiven is that they have fellowship with other Christians. Again, the word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means to share together with, partnership. Followers, Followers of Jesus will share life together. You see, true spirituality manifests itself in the community of believers. One cannot say that he or she communes with God and then refuses to commune with God's people. Impossible. John will tell us later. You know, they were—they left because they were never of us. They left. They left because they were never part of us in the first place. See, the fellowship that God is talking about here in the first test is that if you have fellowship with God. It'll be natural that you will have fellowship with each other. Why? We share the same spirit, we share the same book, we share, we share the same father, same friend, same brother, same everything, same home, same residence, same everything. We have this partnership forever. Luke gives us the blueprint of biblical fellowship in Acts two forty two to 47. And when Luke says, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer and all worship came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possession and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. See, biblical fellowship must start with devotion, right? We're we're devoted to who? We're we're devoted to God. We're, We're devoted to God together. That's what binds us. You know, it's more than I like you. It's more than I really, really like you. What binds us together is the love of Christ. The fellowship of God. That's what binds us together. So for some people who says, um, for some people who says that, oh, I don't need anybody. I could live the Christian life alone. The problem with that thinking is that it's not in the Bible. The problem with that is that when people share the same faith, they naturally gravitate and magnetize to each other. Why? Because we could sing together. We could say spiritual things together. Right? So let me ask you. Are you in this kind of fellowship with God and and others? Are you in this kind of fellowship? See, fellowship goes beyond mere socializing. It involves growing spiritually together. And and the early church grew together because they were in the Word together. They were in fellowship together. They were in breaking of bread together. They were in prayer together. They were in evangelism. That's what it grew. See, true fellowship involves verbalizing spiritual victories and failures. See, I know of no Christian, maybe one of you here, who never struggles with their faith. I don't know of anyone here who does not struggle in their faith. I struggle with my faith. And, and we need each other. Yesterday, I had a call yesterday morning, and, and uh, um, I just had this tremendous encouragement. Right? That, hey, I understand you. Hey I want you to be in the Word with me. Hey, I want to share you what Christ is doing in my life. Great. You know, it's also sharing scriptural insights and asking questions of each other's walk with Christ. The point is that the natural result of being in the light is joyful relationship with other believers, which we call life groups. We're about to start life groups because we cannot do life alone. We need to do life together. I'm going to tell you something. Without your prayers this week, I don't know how I would have gone through this week. It was such a struggle. So I need to ask you have you experienced communion with God in Christ and His Spirit? Have you sensed their presence? Do you have a love for them that draws you to their sweet fellowship? Have you experienced a sweet communion of prayer, the joy of talking to the living God? Have you experienced a refreshing, almost overwhelming sense of grace and mercy that has come to you? you, Especially when you discover a new truth in His Word. Does this describe you? Does this describe your fellowship with God and others? If you have, then you have experienced fellowship with God. But if you have not... We got a bigger subject to talk about. Like I said earlier, I enjoyed um, First Peter a lot. Then, uh, about a week and a half ago on a Thursday, uh, I received a call from uh, Kaiser, and because I took a biopsy uh, two days prior on a Tuesday, and um, I thought it will just be. Uh, uh, a basal cell carcinoma or a squamous cell carcinoma. I thought it was just some form of skin cancer that they could kind of get rid of. And that was my really hope or it was a bacterial infection. So I was playing on those three things and and, um, and I just, so Thursday came back, the dermatologist kid came back and said, hey, uh, I have some bad news for you. I don't think it's any of those. I wish it was, but it's actually, it's related to your cancer. So the first thing I, I, um, first thing that came to my mind is the cancer is back. And then I had to get educated. The cancer never left. It's always been with me because it takes five years to uh, be clear from my cancer. And uh, my, at that point, the moment at that point, my heart, just dropped, and all my confidence gone, and and I, I came to this just this dark place in my thinking. Um, but it, but it's God. It's where God wanted me to be. I, it's where God needed me to be. It's where I needed to be. I was telling Tim last night that uh, uh, God's discipline hurts, but um, but it's always only tool for humility. <laughs> So, I know Friday we had a live group training. I know Saturday it was live group training. Didn't want to do it. I just want to feel sorry for myself. Absolutely just want to stay so, feel sorry for myself. Don't want nothing to do with it. Got him done. Sunday came morning. God, I just want to call Howie and preach. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I had to obey. Uh, when... Your doctor says, I'm scheduling a PET scan with you and, and, um, and you will speak with an, your oncologist all after that. When the word PET scan comes along, it, it brings chills to my body. <laughs> because uh, PET scans are scanners uh, to check uh, cancer, whether the cancer has back, cancer has spread, our cancer is stem, And uh, when so for Thursday to about Wednesday, I don't think I read the Bible this much in my life. I don't think I prayed this much. I don't think I cried this much. <laughs> all good. Won't trade it. At all. Would not trade that experience with God. Still don't. Still wanting it every single night. But God had to cause that to happen. God had to get my attention. God had to wake me up and say, come to me. It's me who's in control of this. Your life is in my hands. It's not in an oncologist's hands. It's in my hands. Because there's no such a thing, as R.C. Sproul says, as a rogue cell or molecule. There isn't one that is not in the control of God's sovereignty. Because if it's it's something rogue and God is not in control of it, then we can't trust any of his promises. Because God is sovereign, we could trust all his promises that he's in control of this as well. But it doesn't mean that I'm not human and, and not scared about this. I am absolutely frightened about what's going on. Because you could fall into two groups. Group one of this cancer of this form of cancer, which happens only six percent to all Americans, to all world six percent. This cancer that I have, you fall into two groups. Group one, you have a maximum survival rate of eighteen months. Group two, um, it's a It's there's more treatment available. It's not deadly. But Satan is very good. I I give him a lot of credit. Very good. He told me all six days, you're in group one. You're in group one. You're in group one. You have 18 months to live. Maximum. Scared me so much. I talked to my family last Sunday and I said, we will never blame God for anything. We will focus on him through this. We'll trust in Him. Wednesday came along. Hardest day, hardest morning of my life. I had a scan at 3 p.m. and I said, this is it God. Life will change right here. It just will. Took the PET scan and uh, you have to be underneath the scanner for about 15 minutes and just you close your eyes and not move or inconclusive. I wanted to move so it will be inconclusive. <laughs> but no. But you know how I knew I had fellowship with God? is because there's this, this overwhelming peace that came to me. That overwhelming peace is something I could not manufacture. It's something that you have to be in. I was in the PET scan for 15 minutes. Couldn't move. Okay, what do I do for 15 minutes? Is the question, right? Man, God, Holy Spirit, so good. I, I recited every single verse that I have memorized in my life. Memorized every single one of them. And the very last passage before they they wheeled me back is, "Great, Your mercy is new every morning." Great is thy faithfulness. That was, that was the last passage that I ever recited to the Lord. I, my doctor said, call me after, um, after you're done. He called me as I was driving home. And uh, my doctor said, while we're talking, he said, I see your scan. But I'm not an oncologist. I, I, I could only read certain parts of it. Here's the price. I'm in group number two. Praise God. It was a relief. It's not me. Don't clap any war. It's not me. It's just the Lord. It's just the Lord. It doesn't mean I'm out of the woods. It just means that I have more options. Uh, the 14th is a very key date, September 14th. I will see my oncologist, and I will see a consult with a general surgeon. And they have to remove this. I don't know what that looks like. uh, But I need your prayers. I really do. In our app this week, you will see a prayer that I want you to uh, just pray for me. It's based on Psalms Psalms 23. Please do not pray for me that... uh, I will come out of this with good health. I want you to pray for me that whatever happens, that I will depend on God for every single moment of this. That I will not lose my joy one bit. And that I will finish the race that God has set before me. I am not dying, just to make sure everybody knows. (laughs) Not, I don't, I'm not. As far as I know, God could decide otherwise, but I'm not, health-wise. There's options. But am I nervous? Absolutely. And I tell you this because this is the reason why I left First Peter. Because the saddest thing for me, if this would be my last series, is what would I say to Watermark Fellowship Church? What would be my last parting words if, if it was to be? If it was to be? I want you to make sure that you are saved. I want to make sure that you're going to heaven because I want to see you. There is no fear of death with me. I'm good with death. I'm finally, I'm okay with it. Because I know who, where my fellowship really lies is with the Father and His Son and His Holy Spirit. I know where I'm going. That is a definite truth for me. But I don't know your destiny. And I just want to give you every opportunity from the Word of God to make sure that you are. I want to make sure that we see each other. Right? I, I don't fear this disease. Oh, I do a little bit. But I, fe- I, I fear more like I'm going to miss out on, on, on seeing my, my wife and my children and, and the church. I, that's what I fear. I don't fear the death part. And then another fear came to me that I just want to make sure that you are absolutely sure that there is no doubt in your heart that you are going to heaven. No doubt whatsoever. And there's only four ways to do this. You must believe that there is a God who is righteous You need to believe that there's a God who is righteous, who is holy, that cannot tolerate sin, and will never tolerate sin. See, the first thing that you and I need to know is that in the beginning, God created. So if God created, we are created beings, so He owns us. He's designed for Adam and Eve that He will rule them, that He will rule them in in righteousness with Him. But they decided to say, I don't want God's rule in my life. I'm going to eat that food because I want to be God. So at that point, there's this broken fellowship with God. This broken fellowship. And God, for the past 2000 years, has been trying to restore this fellowship with you. (laughs) You know, Exodus tells you what? The Lord Pass before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But here's the bad part, part, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, and the children's children, to the third and the fourth generation. You have a God who's all of this and he is, but he didn't stop there. He said he will not clear you if you are guilty. If you are a sinner, he will not clear you. Because he will violate his own holiness. And he won't do that. So, the first part of the gospel is really about you recognizing who God is. And the second thing you need to recognize is who you are. Who you are. And you are what? Man? man who is a sinner. That's who you are. Right? Is anyone here not a sinner? If you're not a sinner, I think it's safe to say that I could call you a liar. Right? How many of you here have already sinned? Right now? Thinking, when will this service end? (laughs) Right? But I want to tell you, God is a holy God and He's loving, but He's not going to permit me to continue in my sin. Romans 3 verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapter 3 verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. Yet we often think that our sins is not much more than a violation of some heavenly traffic law. That's why we wonder why God gets bent out of shape, upset about them. You see, sin is much more than that. It's because it's the rejection of God Himself and His right to exercise the authority over us, His creation. And the moment you and I recognize sin in the light of the Scriptures, you you begin to understand what Romans 6.23 says, that the wages of sin is death. And he was not talking about just physical death here, but a spiritual one, meaning a permanent separation from God's presence. The Bible is clear that the final destiny for non-Christian is eternal, and it's active judgment in the place called hell. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, it's appointed unto man for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Meaning every one of us will stand before God and be held accountable John 3.18 says, whoever does not believe is condemned already right now. Because he has not believed in the name of the, Holy, on the only Son of God. This is the sure way to hell. Because you have not believed in the only Son of God. You don't bow to His authority. But it's bad news from there, isn't it? But there's a solution to this bad news. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. The word Christ means anointed one, referring to anointing a king with oil when he is crowned. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying that Jesus is a king. And when he began his public ministry, he told the people the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The Old Testament had promised that one would come as a great king to rescue his people from their sins and now jesus was saying the kingdom of god is here now i am your great king but in john nineteen fifteen, the pharisees and the people said we have no other king but caesar as jesus said as jesus said over and over i am the king but not of this world as jesus died on the cross carrying this awful weight of all our sins that fell on his shoulder the sentence of death God pronounced against rebellious sinners fell on God's only son, Jesus. And because he loves you, John three sixteen. For God so loved you, the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us that in the while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus the crucified is no longer dead, he is alive. He rose from the grave and now seating in the right hand of the Father. Amen. He is not just King Jesus the crucified, but he is the crucified, resurrected, ascended King. The resurrection is God's way of saying that justice has been served. All this fellowship with God is only possible through the blood of Christ. Before we were saved, we were His enemy, but Jesus reconciled us to Himself through the death of His only Son. And when we repent of our sin and trust in Christ, the result is that we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. John 15, John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, because He is the only true God and He is eternal life. Here's our response. What does God expect you to do with the information that Jesus died in your place so you can be saved from His righteous anger against you? God expects you to respond with repentance and faith. To repent of our sins means to turn away from our rebellion against God and to submit to His authority. Repentance does not mean we'll bring an immediate end to our sinning. But it does mean though, that we'll never again live at peace with our sin. That we have to and we must hate sin. So let me ask you, do you hate sin? In addition, we must turn to God in faith and trust in the risen Jesus to save you. You see, condemnation only comes to the one who does not believe in Jesus. John 3.17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. That whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Jesus Himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, verse 12, You can't be saved by any other name but Jesus Christ. Salvation from sin and judgment is free for the taking. But if you reject the miracle cure that the doctor Jesus offers you don't blame him when you die to your fatal illness he reminds us that despite all that sin he did not come to condemn us rather he came to save us i beg you to believe in him peter second peter 39 says the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you do you know why jesus hasn't come yet and set the world in order because god is patience. The reason why patient is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach what? Repentance. God wants people to be to believe. God wants people to be saved. Moreover, in First Peter chapter two, verse twenty four, and chapter three, verse eighteen, tells us that he bore our sin in his body on the three that are righteous for the unrighteous, that we might bring us to God. You see, if God is over ever to count us righteous. You'll have to do it on the basis of someone else's record, someone who's qualified to stand in our place as our substitute and His name is Jesus Christ. Do you believe that you have rebelled against God and deserve His wrath? That Jesus is the Son of God who died the death that you deserve for your sins? That He rose from the grave and lives to stand in your place as your substitute and Savior? If that is your heartfelt conviction, you have fellowship with God. As we take the Lord's Supper, this is a moment for us. If you're here and, and there's even a hint of doubt that you're not going to wake up in heaven, this is the time to reconcile with your God. This is the time to have fellowship with Him. As we take the Lord's Supper, it's what it means to fellowship with God. It's what it means to celebrate not only His death, it means to celebrate His resurrection and His coming again. Would you pray with me? Father, in this moment of silence, we come to You, God, as our loving Savior Um, God as we look back we are so sorry God for what we did to what we continually do and what we will do that our life that our wretched life has brought judgment and condemnation to your only son who is perfect God, thank you for your forgiveness, your offer of forgiveness. Thank you for your gracious. God, thank you for loving us. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. But God, we also rejoice in the fact that you are not dead. That you are not in some tomb in, in Jerusalem. But you are alive and you are sitting at the right hand of the Father. Preparing a place for us. God, we rejoice in your ascension. and So that you could have your rightful place. And God, we also celebrate that you're coming again. God, we are people of hope. Because of your love for us. So this moment, would you just take this time and just in silence just to thank God. You say, God, thank you for forgiving my sins. And would you also thank him that he rose from the grave and he declared victory over sin. Would you take that moment?